Good morning. <laughs> uh, the reading for today is out of the book of Colossians, chapters 3, verse 16 through 4, verse 1. And so it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Zach. I know that uh, one of the best days of your life was when my surgeon said that it was okay for me to drive a car again. So... Good morning, Arcadia. It's great to see you all. Uh, if you're new, my name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, privileged to be serving here with this staff uh, and elders. A um, couple of other quick uh, announcements. I just want to remind you of this Wednesday night. We're starting that Kingdom, Kingdom's Companion series on Wednesday nights. It's going to be different than what we normally do on Wednesday nights. It's going to start at 6.30 because we're going to eat. And there's going to be uh, some teaching around 7, and then there's going to be some breakout time. So we're, we're, not going, to, we're going to have tables set up in here um, instead of just the chairs. And then there will also be child care. So we'd love to know if you're coming so that we can have enough food and enough uh, child care workers. And then um, the other thing I want to mention is that uh, yesterday we had our indoor cleaning day that was organized by Emmy Payne and uh, Brennan Smith, and they just did a fantastic job organizing it, and I wanted to thank all of the volunteers who showed up and cleaned everything, and especially a shout out to you guys right here. Uh, we, we had like three and a half hours set aside to clean, and then you all showed up, and I think we were done in about 20 minutes. So we really appreciate, by the way, uh, the way you have taken ownership in this community has been really a blessing to us, and we really thank you for that. We appreciate that very much. So um, we are uh, in Colossians, and if you want to have Colossians chapter 3 open on your Bibles or in your phones, that would be uh, helpful. Uh, you know, at Redemption Church, we really don't do a lot of what, what is known as topical uh, preaching or messaging Instead, what we like to do is go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, which is what we're doing right now with Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. But when we come across very specific topics that the scripture is dealing with, we will stop and handle that topic in the midst of uh, the book. And so we are now in the second week of a three-week mini-series within the ten weeks that we are looking at the book of Colossians. And these three weeks cover the topics of Christian marriage, uh, parenting, children and parents, and then the gospel in the marketplace, which is what we're going to do next week. 
And this week is parenting. We did the Christian marriage one last week. And before we get into this week's topic, I want to make sure that we understand this very clearly. The only reason any of this is going to work or any of this is going to make sense is if it's done in the context of the gospel of Jesus, which is what empowers us. And we proclaim that gospel every single week. We need to be reminded, not just weekly, but daily, of the good news of Jesus Christ in our life. And that's why we often say we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day to remind us of the grace that Jesus is, has given us. And essentially, this is the gospel in a nutshell. It's that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. He died on the cross as the only possible atonement for our sin. And then he was raised from the tomb to give us new life. And we are new creations in him when we come to him. And we have been adopted through his sacrifice and his resurrection as sons and daughters of the living God. And that is a beautiful thing. And now we seek to live a joyful and grateful life under his wisdom, his will, and his word, and by the filling of the Holy Spirit, which he has given us. And that is good news. That is the gospel. So let's get into this uh, parenting deal today. I want to read those two verses that I would call really important transition verses into what we might say is the gospel-centered Pauline version of the household codes in their culture that day, which kind of turned everything on its side. And those verses are 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, with gratitude in our hearts for God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, if you think about those verses as the ones that transition into how we're to treat each other in marriage, how we're to treat each other in parenting and, and, and that relationship, how we're to treat each other in the marketplace, how we're to treat our communities, how we're to treat our friends, regardless, if we just think about those verses as the guiding principles moving into these relationships, it really helps us to understand what our responsibility is in each of these relationships. And the difference, of course, is that everyone has a responsibility and everyone is accountable in these relationships, which Paul is making known in a culture that really says the only ones that have accountability and responsibility in this are wives, children, and servants. And that's just not true. And Paul is making that point here. And so I think it's important to understand that. And so then we look at this, these two verses that are dedicated to parenting. Children, obey your parents in everything. Can I get an amen? <laughs> For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So here's the deal with verse 20. All of us are subject to God. We are called to submit to God. Whether we realize it or not, that's what we're called to do. But God has left the parents in charge of the children. End of story. And, and it, it is sad that I have to do this in many ways, but I have to do it because somebody will ask, somebody will send an email, so this is a disclaimer up front. This is just to set everybody's mind at ease. If a child is being abused by their parents, that is a problem, and it's not what would please the Lord, and we need to call the police. Yes, we acknowledge that. And any parent who uses God's word 
as a tool to abuse or harm a child is anathema. Yes, that's true. But 99% of the time, it's simply a child who doesn't want to do what their parents think is best. It's that simple. See, the idea, and it usually works pretty well, the idea is that the parents have been there, done that, right? See, you parents, you know what your kids are thinking, right? Because you thought the same thing when you were a child, right? Isn't that true? Okay, so you've been there, done that. And so God is saying, look, parents have experience and wisdom that children don't have, and so hopefully they're going to have what's best for the child in mind as they parent the child. Now, I will tell you I experience this all the time in a slightly different context, teaching as an adjunct instructor at Paradise Valley Community College. Here's what I have found out. Most students think that they are smarter than the instructor. Most students think the instructor has never ever, 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 ever heard the creative excuse that they're going to give for not doing their work. Most students think they're craftier than their instructor, and most think, students think the instructor is an idiot. It's fun to subject myself to this kind of abuse, I'll tell you. It really is. But that's why students need a lot of patience and help. And it's the same with children. And children need to be trained up in the way that they should go, as God says in Proverbs 22. They need to listen under. The Greek word for obey is literally a conflation of two words that means to listen under. Listen under. Hupo akuo. Listen under. That's what it means to obey. They need to listen under, submit to, and honor their parents even when it's hard. And even when they disagree with their parents because that's probably going to be what's best for them. Now listen to this. Because this is what Paul, as an Old Testament expert, probably has on his mind as he's writing these words, not only here in Colossians, but he also expands on this a little bit in the book of Ephesians as well. But here's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And uh, Tyler mentioned this in the, in the child dedications. This is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you work by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, now notice the progression there. You are to know the word of God first and honor and love God first, and then you pass that on to your children. So Paul's shorthand there is what's going on there, and the children are supposed to receive this instruction. That's what they're supposed to do. And then verse 21, question might be, and the same thing happens in Ephesians, why are the fathers singled out? Well, there are a couple reasons. First of all, in their culture, husbands and fathers were never questioned. So now what Paul is doing is he's pointing out that in Christ, husbands and fathers also have accountability and responsibility, and that responsibility and accountability is to the Lord, and that means taking care of wives and taking care of children in a loving, covenantal, gospel-centered way. And second, generally... Men are just a little tougher on kids than mom, especially in their culture, but it can also be true in our context as well. 
So it is a reminder that given the power that men do have, we also have a responsibility to use power wisely and compassionately under the tutelage of Jesus Christ. If you want a beautiful picture of how to use almost um, exclusionary power well, read Genesis chapter 37 through 50. And watch how Joseph uses his power under the guidance of the Lord to compassionately help everybody. It's, it's an amazing story of not of the abuse of power, we see that through the Old Testament too, but rather of the compassionate, gospel-centered use of power. So now, generally speaking, when developing a philosophy of parenting, which I encourage all pre-marrieds, to do. It's part of premarital counseling. I like to encourage those who are getting married to start thinking about their philosophy of parenting. If they're planning on having children, it's really important to be able to do that. Jackie and I did the same uh, thing. Uh, but, but this philosophy of parenting generally falls into two broad categories. Rules-based parenting versus conversation-based parenting. And, and what I'm recommending here is not necessarily that you have conversation only and no rules or rules only and no conversations. It never works to, to just go to the, it just never works to go to the extremes, okay? But, but I will tell you my experience with this. This was our founding pastor's experience as well, Tom Schrader. He had the same experience. Um, let me just ask that you don't have to raise your hand or anything like that, but you know how some children are just a joy to be around and others not so much? <laughs> okay, so what Jackie and I did, we got married and we decided we were going to wait a while before we had our first child. We waited almost five years. And uh, what we did during that five years was uh, at the church we were at, North Phoenix Baptist Church, we were involved with a lot of young marrieds, a lot of young families, and there were families where we truly enjoyed being around uh, their children. And it's not that their children were just off in a corner somewhere being quiet. They were engaged fully and fun and thoughtful. And, and so what we did was we would find those parents where we really enjoyed those, those children, and then we would ask those parents to go out to dinner, and we'd say, tell us about your parenting philosophy. Why are your kids turning out the way they are? And I will tell you that uh, every single time what we found is that those parents leaned more towards a conversationally based type of parenting. Conversationally based. Now, why don't more parents do that? First of all, let me just say, it's not that rules are bad, but I want to ask, just let me get that out there. But I want to ask this question. Why don't more parents do that? Here's why. It's time consuming. It's a lot of hard work. It, 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 it stops you from doing what you want to do and now you have to engage. And a lot of parents have found that they're just too busy to be able to do that. And so if they just have rules, they just say, here's the rule. Don't really enforce it, but here's the rule, okay? And that's the end of the story and now I, I can go on and get, get on with my busy life. That's, that's generally why they think it's, it's going to save me a lot of time. But here's what most parents discover. Those kids that are raised in a primarily rules-based um, uh, household, later on, they're the ones that struggle with rebellion, 
with social constructs and with relationships. And so then it's later on they find themselves having to be engaged, having to take time away. So the question becomes, do you want to invest time now or do you want to invest time later? That becomes the question. That's from my perspective what I've seen. And as you walk through scripture, you also see this idea of parents being engaged with their children, talking with their children, you see that endorsed time and time and time again throughout scripture, and you see the problems when parents aren't engaged with their children time and time throughout scripture. Just read the Old Testament. I was remarking this morning, we're reading a lot of the Old Testament now in preparation for this kingdom series. I'm telling you, reading the Old Testament is fun. There's a lot of sin in there. You can get a lot of really good ideas, so it's, it's really interesting. But there's a lot of this parent-children stuff uh, going on. And so what's the difference between conversation-based and rules-based, uh, and why is it important? Well, rules are seen as easier by many parents and less time-consuming, but here's what a rules-based parenting does not do. It, it lacks relationship-building, it lacks trust-building, and it lacks empathy-building. And that will become a problem later on. But also, just to acknowledge, certain rules are certainly helpful. Maybe you could call them guidelines. We had some in our house as well. Our house was raucous and fun, and there was a lot of freedom, but there were certain things that we said we're just not going to tolerate in the house. That's, that's good. Uh, and the reason that rules can also be good, and research has shown this, is because children who don't have some sense of boundary, some sense of rules, some sense of where the margins are, uh, they grow up feeling a loss of security. They don't have a sense of security, okay? Uh, research, and then again, my own experience has, has demonstrated very clearly that children who have total freedom, children who never hear the word no and mean it, children who get to do whatever they want, eventually will lament the lack of guidance from their parents when they get older. They will say that, okay? Now, one more thing before... Um, I'm going to call up uh, somebody else who's actually more of an expert on parenting than I am, and I'm going to interview uh, this person. Uh, I just, I have to mention this, um, because <clears throat> I've been around, uh, because both of our children were athletes and, and all that stuff, um, man, I got to tell you, uh, parents who are trying to live their frustrated lives vicariously through their children, that's a problem. Have you ever seen that or experienced that? Whatever it is that you're frustrated with, you're trying to get your... Let, let, me, let, me, just, let me just help you. What you've done is you've made your child a little false god, a little idol. That's too much pressure for your child to do that. Let, let me just help you out, okay? I would guess the chances are pretty good that your child is not going to cure cancer, your child is not going to um, uh, change the world, your child is not going to get a scholarship to Stanford. They're, they're just probably not going to. And, and because they're from your genes, first of all. So anyway, um, here you go. When you set the, the marks and the standards way too high, I'm not saying don't have ambition and don't work with them, but I'm saying if, if they begin to realize that you have a goal for them that they can never attain, and especially when they begin to realize that it's kind of out of your own frustration with your life, that is so destructive. And, and going to tournaments for years, I watched that play out with parents, and it was really sad. And I felt bad uh, for the kids who, uh, who had to go through that. So uh, with that being said, I want to call up Jackie Switzer, who is the mother of my children. And I'm going to talk to her a little bit.
Oh, yeah. You guys mixed up the mics. Is the green one okay? Okay. Yeah, use the green one. Already threw you a curveball this morning. Sorry. Jackie, thank you so much for being willing to do this. Um, appreciate you coming up here, but I wanted people to be able to hear from your perspective as well. And, and I want you all to know that I think this is important for you all to know that um, uh, we do live in the same house. And I did, I did send her the questions in advance, but we never had time to actually discuss her answers. So this is really unscripted, which I, I like. But the other reason it's unscripted is because, of, as many of you know, it's Stanley Cup playoff time, and nobody talks to me during the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's just the, that's one of our household rules, okay? So I raise my kids right. They like hockey. Anyway, uh, so first, let's uh, tell us a little bit about our kids. So and being, being a mother, just um, give us a little introduction. We have two daughters, um, Shelby Switzer, who's working in uh, children's right now, and Darby uh, McCulley, who is, lives in Iowa with her husband. They work at the camp that we've been telling you about since forever. Yeah. Um, they work there with their son, Jamie, who's a little over a year now, our first grandbaby, and loving that. So uh, that's, and, and Shelby's a PA, and Darby is an um, athletic trainer, kind of taking off right now, raising a baby. But other than that, yeah. yeah. And what do you do uh, for a job? Um, I run a gym and community center for North Phoenix Baptist Church. Uh, so I teach classes and I help facilitate, do rentals. I'm going there to do a party after this. <laughs> yeah. All kinds of things. Yeah. All right. So tell me, uh, first question I wanted to ask you is tell me about uh, the role that forgiveness plays in parenting. Um, I think it's probably the hugest thing in your, uh, in your relationship with your kids. It's the hardest thing too. I mean, it's hard It's hard to ask forgiveness just in general, I think. Um, but there's something about being a parent and having to ask your child for forgiveness <laughs> makes you feel a little bit like, oh no, they're not gonna think I'm perfect and that I do everything right. And um, I'm saying that they should know that. They should absolutely know that. Um, because just like you were talking about the sports and setting goals too high or whatever, um, the same thing goes for perfection. If they think you're perfect, that is so hard. Um, it's so hard for them to live up to. So I, I don't think it's very fair to do that to them. To, to not ask for forgiveness when, when it certainly is warranted that you've offended them and done something wrong, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, and it gets easier as you do it, and yeah. it builds um, sort of your own team, and it builds a um, relationship. And Doesn't it build trust, too? absolutely builds trust that they know that um, you're not lying to them because when you act perfect, you're lying. So uh, the reason I wanted to ask you that first and you said it is because that may be the hardest thing. Yeah. And, so. and I, I know it was hard because um, one of my great attributes is especially early in our marriage was stubbornness. Remember? <laughs> um, I vaguely remember yeah. that. And, and I remember there were times when you would come to me and you would say, you need to apologize to Shelby. And I'd be like, really? But I'm the dad. You know, yeah. But I'm the dad, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was an excellent, it was excellent counsel for me. And, and I think that was something that helped us build our relationship with uh, our two children. So that's good. All right, here's the next thing. Um, what about resiliency? I hear so much from parents today that they don't want to do anything hard 
they don't want to make their children have to go through anything hard because they're afraid they won't be resilient. So talk a little bit about resiliency. Um, I, I think this just wraps back around to that we forget what it's like to be a kid and, um, and what that experience was for us and how much we wanted to do things and to take responsibility and be trusted um, by our parents to be able to do that. And, and that's how kind of you learn resilience because you try things and you fail and or sometimes you do well. Um, but if we don't ever give them that shot, they don't, they don't get to learn that. And, and that also that you can fail well and you can win well. And um, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Yeah, I, you are. I, I, what, I, what, I, what, I, what I especially though get kind of disturbed by are the number of parents who are worried about the resiliency of their children. They don't want them to go through anything hard. And then later on, those very parents, when they decide they need to get a divorce, and somebody says, what about the kids? What's their first answer? Oh, don't worry. They're resilient. Yeah. They'll be fine. They'll be better. Yeah. You know? So yeah. that's, that's a challenge. What, what I've found is that um, in that resiliency thing is that if they don't push to do something that they're not sure they'll succeed at, uh, they'll never try anything hard, and they'll never they'll never be able to push the limits of what they can really do their potential and be able to find yeah, that potential. Yeah, and I think that they they um, when you when we don't give them that shot, I think they live in fear just a little bit because what if that time does come, and now I can't I, I you know I've never had a, I've never practiced at it, and so what if I fail at it, and so they live in a little bit of fear. And that's no fun either. Yeah. So that leads perfectly into the next question. Um, you and I decided very early on that one of our parenting tenets was going to be that we want to raise our children to be good decision makers. And so what, what did that mean? And what did that look like? Did we wait until they were 16 to start talking to them about making decisions? No, we did not. Um, I think it's, uh, it's hard because you have to slow down and you have to take time. And you have to know your kids because I can't do the same thing for your child that I can do for mine because I don't know them. Um, so you have to really slow down and you have to be willing to take the time. Um, but I can tell you, I would much rather um, handle the stuff they're going to bring to me when they're two <laughs> and give them, a, give them a chance and really talk it out with them and then when they're 15 and I'm trying to start that process. Um, that's a much harder time because... You're building the base, and if you if your base is not, let's talk about this, let's work it out. You pray about it, I'll pray about it, then we'll pray about it together. I'm gonna pray for you for that. Um, at 15, you know, when they're hormonal and weird and smelly and all those things, you, <laughs> you don't have as much of a chance, and you're, you're kind of starting way too late. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, uh, the, the, the giving them the tool to be able to weigh the pros and the cons mm -hmm. and to do it in, in a way that isn't necessarily bent towards emotion so that they understand consequences. Yeah. And, then, and then, of course, when they make decisions, we allow them to kind of suffer the consequences within reason, right. of course. Right. Okay, sure. we're, we never allowed a three-year-old to decide to run out into traffic, right? right. Okay. But nevertheless, there were decisions that three-year-olds could make, and yeah. you could work through that with the three-year-olds. There are definitely absolutes. Um, but then there's, there's so many opportunities to, to give them a chance to make a decision about something. And, and the honing that in, too. We didn't say, well, here's a room of things. Decide. You know, we said, what do you think? This one or this one? What do you think? 
And, and what do you think is the, is the question that engenders conversation? Right. Which is really helpful. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, another one was we also decided very early on. Thank you. Thank I like the pink one better. Uh, we also decided very early on that what we wanted to do was raise our children to be independent of us, but dependent upon God. Talk a yeah. little bit about that. Um, that one's easier when they're little because they're already way dependent on you <laughs> and they're in your house. And um, so I think it's practice for us at that point um, because we're, we're doing it, but um, there's no consequence of like my three-year-old leaving, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's a lot easier at that point. Um, but now that we're kind of on the other end of it, um, where our kids, you know, have gone out and things like that and live in their own lives and all that. Um, I'm so very glad that we got that practice to, you know, get them to lean into Christ constantly, always bringing that back up, always saying, you know, have you prayed about this? What do you think about it? What do you think the Bible says about it? You know, having all those conversations. And then, um, and then as they get older, letting them live it out. Um, and now our kids are gone, and you know it's it's just hard because I want at the exact same time two things. I want them to completely love Christ, lean into Him, want only what He wants, um, follow the giftedness He's given them, all of that. And then at the exact same time, I want to stick them back in my womb. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That has been hard. We raised our kids to be good decision makers and dependent on God, and as a result, they did leave. They yeah. did do their own thing. They went to Chicago, and now we have one daughter who's living in Iowa. And right. that's been hard. Yeah. And so uh, Shelby came back. She's the prodigal daughter, so that's yeah. good for her. Uh, She's the good um, one. No, yeah. just kidding, Darb. <laughs> <laughs> She's watching this right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I'm going to ask you one last thing. What about consistency from parents for kids? How important is consistency, and what does that look like? Um, consistency is huge. Um, then, and I think that's part of that, making those decisions um, early or, you know, hopefully before you have kids, kind of how you're going to go and the decisions and rules you're going to make and all those things. Uh, um, and then sticking with them, not only just like one me, but us sticking yes. to that, even when I think you're wrong and you think I'm wrong or whatever, um, we stick to it. We back each other up. Um, and consistency is just one of those things that helps you to feel safe and um, and to understand the world around you and what you can expect from it because it's kind of huge. And um, so, yeah, consistency is, I mean, it's, it's massive in your child's life. It, it helps the kids feel safe because mm -hmm. they, they're not walking around wondering what's going to happen next. Right. Or are you going to have some kind of crazy uh, decision? Right, and it, it helps them to learn how to build trust, too, because if I'm always going to stay in the same place, I mean, there might be fluctuation a little here or there, whatever, due to circumstance, but um, for the most part, my kids know what I'm going to say. They know where I'm going to stand, and that's really big for them. So I'm going to close with a couple of other things that uh, Jackie and I did that were done through me. Um, uh, as the father, but we, we talked about it before we did it. Um, when each of our uh, daughters were in middle school, um, I went to, and now understand, when they were in middle school, okay, I went to them and asked them to write me a letter that said, as a father, what do you believe, what do you perceive I have done well, and what areas do you think I need to work on going forward? Because those tough years are 
coming up, and I told them there are gonna be no recriminations. I'm not gonna get mad. You can say whatever you want. And, and uh, I will tell you that there were some things in those letters that you know made me think a little harder, and um, I, I, don't, I, I questioned a little bit, but ultimately what I found was that I was able to work on those things that they brought to my attention that were kind of in my blind spot, and again, it built trust with uh, our, I think, I, I, I feel like we have really good relationships with both Shelby and Darby and our miserable son-in-law, Joey, right? <laughs> moving us, moving him to Iowa. Anyway, I'm kidding. Um, but I, I feel like that's been a big part of it. And then, um, and then the other thing I did was with each of them, when they turned 18, uh, we doubled down on the practice that we were raising them to be independent of us and dependent upon God. I sat down with them when they turned 18, and they both graduated uh, from high school about the time they turned 18. And I said, here's what I want our relationship to look like going forward. You're now an adult. You can do whatever you want to do. Uh, what I want is the privilege and the opportunity when you're making a big and tough decision I'd like you to come and ask me for my counsel, and I want to be able to give you some counsel. And here's what I will promise you I will never do. Number one, I will give you counsel without telling you that this is what you have to do. And if you decide to do the exact opposite of my counsel, I won't be angry. You are an independent person now. You have your own relationship with God. We're going to depend on that. And here's the second thing. If you decide to do something different than my counsel and it does go sideways, I will never say I told you so. And, and so that also I felt like really helped build our, our relationship with our children. And, and here's what I want you to also hear. Um, when they turned 18, we didn't just kick them out of the house. That, th that's not what we mean by being independent of us. We still had, we had 529s, we paid for their college, we helped them out in every possible way into uh, their 20s. We were still doing that. We were just doing it without the strings attached. We were saying, we are serious about you being dependent upon God. And so I think that was really helpful too. Any, any closing yeah, thoughts I, on I that? I think both of our kids at some point um, went off. Um, and that was hard on them, but they were also, I feel, pretty prepared for it. Um, we didn't like it. And, and like Darby and Joya, they, they live in Iowa. They've, they've lived away since most of their married life. Yeah. Um, but that's what, they're doing it because God has called them to that. Even though it's hard on us, it's hard on them. They want to be here. They want us all together too. Um, but they're following what God's got for them. And, and as a parent, that's like the prize. And, and here's the thing. They're thriving, which again, creates that tension. We're so proud of them, but we miss them so much. Yeah. But that's a good thing. Life is filled with tension. Well, would you just thank Jackie for coming up and sharing? Appreciate that. Thanks. All right, let me uh, pray, and then we'll move into our reflection time, which will be one song today, because we know we had a full uh, service. Father God, thank you, for, uh, thank you for your call on our lives as parents and as children that we all have a responsibility, and that responsibility is to you. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Uh, help us to understand exactly what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that we should seek first the kingdom of God and, and, and your righteousness, God's righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and then all of these other things, they just fall into place of their own accord properly. 
So help us to be able to do that, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to have our time of reflection. If our communion servers would please uh, come forward. Uh, we're going we're gonna to sing this last song. We're going to take communion together. Uh, there are going to be people standing in the wings available for prayer. If you, uh, if you would like prayer or have any questions that you'd like to ask, and they'll be around also after uh, the service as well. And just remember that, that coming to the table of the Lord is a confession that you're a sinner and you're separated from God by that sin, but it's also a celebration that you are also reconciled to God through the blood of Christ and that you get to celebrate that. So let's do that now.
Amen. Thank you for gathering together to worship this morning. Our benediction comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundant than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus.